0: Oh, this is the podcast, yeah? <laughs> no, but really, guys, this is the podcast. This is two chickpeas in a podcast. You're back with the two chickpeas. We're still in conversation with Hakeem, and we're talking. About him being a survivor of domestic abuse, domestic violence, um, in an LGBT relationship. Hakeem, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me back. Thank you. I just, I mean, we got into it in the last episode, I think. And I was hearing a lot of it for the first time and definitely yeah I needed a break yeah (laughs) yeah I just because I just was so enraged for you and Mm. I just was like I need to go yeah like
1: when you first told me I remember I just like that the entire the rest of my evening was affected by it like the next Mm. day for me was affected like it took me a while to kind of get over Mm. what I had just heard. you know especially like you know we know who you are from from previously from this episode like we have a relationship so to to hear that like you know we weren't there for you and stuff I guess like I kind of was like oh god like how did I not know this how did none of us not know this how did none of how did you feel these these, like throughout that seven year period how are you feeling um but yeah and you know guys if you've listened to the previous episode you'll know like how much has already happened and and hakeem still has so much more to share with us so it's crazy um so yeah you're on a journey with us basically. i think
2: we're all a bit like that aren't we in terms of no matter how close we are with people we seem to compartmentalize number one but number two we in a way choose what's safe and what isn't safe to tell people i think even when we're really close to people we do this mm. We will tell them everything about us, but then there's some things that just remain personal. And I think that's because we all have a personal relationship with ourselves and part and parcel of that is working out at what point do you start to talk about certain subjects, no matter how close you are with someone. And sometimes you'll tell people something straight away, because that's a topic you feel comfortable talking about with someone that you trust. And other times, even with someone that you trust wholeheartedly, you will wait to talk to them about a particular topic. Maybe it requires processing. I,
0: I get that though. As a, in a completely different manner, but also, I hate even saying this about myself because I don't associate it with myself, but this is my whole point. But I also am a survivor of like domestic abuse, violence in a completely you know, different circumstance and context altogether. But, you know, I never ever talk about it. And I just, and I think for me, it's because I was like, it doesn't define who I am. And so then I just never bring it up. And then even now when I speak about it, I'm like, "Mm," like part of me feels free of it. And like, yeah, I can talk about it openly. And sometimes I own it because that did happen. But because of where I've, especially in Asian communities where you're just told to suppress, when you're just told to suppress everything, um, I get how you just would put it to the back of your mind and yeah. make it so like, oh, yeah, like that didn't happen to me. Yeah,
1: because you you didn't tell anyone, did you, about this? Like no one else apart from him knew.
2: One of my friends knew from back in London and she was the only person that knew at the time. But unfortunately, down the line, things got to the point where she felt that the things that were going on with me were effectively coming in the way of our friendship and so the only thing that she had left to do was to choose hold on to the friendship and keep on taking the stories that i'm telling her or for her own mental well-being and emotional well-being ultimately walk away and uh, unfortunately um I get that she though. She got to a point sometimes where she had gets, to walk away.
1: Sometimes it gets like that for, for friends. Like they're mm. just so, they can't see their friend being hurt like this. And they're like, well, why can't you just yeah. help yourself? If you can't help yourself, like I can't be, I cannot h- keep watching you go through this. So I get her point of view, but.
2: And rightfully so. Everyone's got a cut uh, a off point, isn't mm. it? And in a way I was selfishly uh, relying on that friend of mine as an outlet to document and to diarize everything that was going on. But um, I think when it came to the point where she could no longer hack it and take it no more, I think I then went through a whole grieving process because it was like the the one float that I had to keep on going to get through day to day had been removed. So then I was grieving the loss of a friend effectively whilst also having no outlook or no, no outlook, no way to get things off my chest. No outlet. Outlet, that's the word I'm looking for, thank you. <laughs> um, but I think it's about time that we continue really so after having my hair removed off the top of my head my beard my eyelashes obviously I looked like a new man you could say and uh, that's when I started to have to come up with a new excuse in a way to explain the way I looked the kind of Ideas that people were attaching to the reason I looked a certain way, so I started to go with the with the excuse that I needed a fresh start myself because of um, issues going on with my personal life and my family, and so because of that, I've got to a point where I needed to I just need to shave my head and shave my beard. As for my eyelashes, I just got carried away with the clippers, you could say, and that took a little while to get used to because obviously everyone started asking me, including my parents over FaceTime, why do you look like that? And so I'd have to just consistently lie. So going back to something that we discussed last time, where you think you're able to compartmentalize everything and have control over this side of your life, it had completely erupted into a Pandora's box where every single day of the week, from waking up to going to sleep, it had to be numerous lies throughout the whole day, whether it was with the people I lived with in their household or the people in my personal life, as close as my parents. And, you know, you think to yourself, by compartmentalizing this whole side of me, I'm keeping everyone safe. I'm keeping everyone happy. But ultimately, the things that were happening to me, they were causing questions out of concern. Pandora's box. I had effectively lost all sense of control over the entire situation. At that point I wasn't working, I had lost my job, and the reason I lost my job was actually because one of the ways in which he felt it was right to punish me was for me to no longer work where I was working, because once again just like how I looked, it was a reminder of a particular period during our relationship where I had deviated and gone astray. So what he decided to do was send an email at half four in the morning to the CFO of the company um, from his email address, but he'd got hers from mine because he knew all my passwords, you know, to everything. So he took the email address and sent her a long essay, you could say, about being a concerned citizen and concerned partner of an employee at the company and how my behavior brings into question the integrity of the company, particularly because of the industry that they operate in. And he referenced things like, um, Hakim used to bring men into the office uh, for sex, quite bluntly, and that Hakim has a sex addiction And for that reason, the company should really consider whether Hakeem is the best fit for them and what they do. This is bearing in mind that I'd worked really, really hard to get to where I'd gotten within that company over a good few years. Now, that company were already investigating me because of the fact that, as we discussed last time, in the hotel in London where everything first surfaced, my work laptop, amongst other things, were smashed to pieces. So the company were already investigating the reasons behind that, but I wasn't ready to talk about them. It was so fresh and I didn't know how to style it. So I'd been just feeding them whatever information he had been giving me to explain it. I had an outburst of anger, so I snapped my laptop in half and I proceeded to smash it, so on and so forth. Because of that letter, the email, the company investigated a bit deeper, wanted to get access to my NHS health records. They wanted to have a report from the doctors confirming a sex addiction and other such and, and that sort of thing. So I complied with it, obviously, I was completely complicit. And I spoke to the doctors. The doctors were confused. They didn't really get Why I was asking for it because I had actually been in contact with the doctors quite regularly for depression at that point because of the issue with suicide uh, when I was in Newcastle. So they were keeping a close tab on me anyway. And the doctors provided, but the write up that the doctors provided didn't confirm that I had a sex addiction, right? It didn't confirm that there was any underlying issue here that reflected what was in the email. The company were getting annoyed by that. They were thinking, well, why is the partner telling us that hakeem has got a sex addiction and making these sorts of very bold claims for the industry that we work in once again, knowing how it could affect us and affect our relationship with Hakeem. Because of that, they didn't know what to do with me. They kept on asking me to have meetings with them, but they started insisting that those meetings were private because they didn't want him present during those chats. The best that I could accommodate was to have a meeting via the laptop and um, because I I could not leave. First of all, he wouldn't let me, but second of all, because he wanted to be present. So I said, let's have this private meeting. The laptop was facing me. I was sat on a sofa in the bedroom. The laptop was facing me and he was sat on the bed behind the laptop on the right hand side he was writing down the questions that the cfo the hr lady would ask me and then he would write the answer and then he would slip me the answer on the dressing table in front of me that the laptop was resting on and so when they first asked me are you alone is he in the room with you my answer was no i'm completely alone and we were on video of course so i'm completely alone We can have a open and frank discussion. CFO says good, because I want you to understand the nature of us talking to you, doing this investigation, giving it the time that we're giving, is because we as a company have reason to believe that he is a threat to us, and we are preparing to take legal action if we need to against him. So what you say to us now is going to be integral to that. Obviously, that sent him in a panic. So the questions I was being asked were directly related to his email. They asked, can you tell us about the allegation of having a sex addiction? Where does that come from? And is it true? Because your medical record shows that you haven't got a sex addiction, but you've spoken to a doctor about you thinking you have one. I says, yep, so I can confirm that I have been to a doctor. I've spoken about it. And they said, but why did you raise that initial concern? I said, because I cheated on my partner. And they said, but you cheated on him. There's a difference between cheating on a partner and having an actual sex addiction. You do realise this, Hakeem. And I says, yeah, but I think it's deeper rooted. So I think there's some sort of addiction problem there. They were perplexed. They were baffled. And the answer I was being given was on the sheet of paper in front of me. So I didn't have anything else to add to it. They asked me about the laptop. And I said, we had an altercation. I got very angry and I snapped my laptop in half and I threw it across the room. So
1: nothing to do with him. Not, nothing is his fault. Everything is your fault.
2: It was my fault.
1: This ridiculous.
2: The HR woman was looking at me, grinding her jaw. The CFO was looking at me almost in disbelief as to anything I was saying. And I think it showed on my face. I think there's only so much you can read from a script. If you're going to act, you've got to do it right. And I think in my head, I was just literally in autopilot, just reading from the piece of paper in front of me and staring into the screen. And I think because they saw through that, the interview only lasted about 15, 20 minutes and then they just thanked me and let it go. After that interview, he reassured me saying, you know, whatever happens, it's all for the best. You know, God writes everything and you know, you've done your best in the interview. And, you know, wait and see what happens next. I thought, okay, a week later, I got a letter in the post basically telling me that they were not satisfied with the interview, the meeting that we had, and it only raised more questions. And so for that reason, they've decided to uh, release me from the company and that they would be willing to pay me to leave the company. Um, Garden leave is what they call it. And they said, because we want a quiet exit, we would have to ask you to sign an NDA. And so then we went through a process um, where they wrote a big document just outlining that I'm not going to speak about the reason for me leaving. I'm not going to have anything to do with the industry for a couple of years. Um, And of course, being banned from the company. And so I signed it and that was it. So I lost my job. And I was then out of work for, I guess, the best part of from December 2018 through till uh, 2017, sorry, through till June of the following year. And that time was interesting in itself. I guess each of these segments of this story have their own highs and lows, and I guess at the time they seemed justifiable in a weird sick kind of way because I kind of I I thought in my head that they were leading me to something better I thought well this hurdle that I've met it's still getting me closer to some end goal I didn't have a clue what the end goal was I just thought at some point it's going to get better right so this situation being so shit I guess the next one will be better I've lost my job so the next situation is going to be better but it wasn't Having lost my job, I was at home all day every day, and because of this mental health issue that he had positioned me with amongst his family, not telling them I had a sex addiction, but by saying that I was, but by saying that I was mentally unstable, and so because of that, I needed to be chaperoned. I shouldn't be allowed to leave the house unless I've got either his mum or his sister, who lives two doors down with me. Um, He took my house key back, obviously, uh, quite a while before this. That's when my new routine started. The new routine was to wake up in the morning when he goes to work to get myself ready, of course, leave the bedroom. He'd go to work and lock the bedroom door and lock the other bedroom door upstairs. This is
0: when you were still living with him. Yeah. So, but you guys weren't allowed to share a bedroom or something then, no?
1: No, he had his own room.
2: Yeah, so I used to have my own room, and uh, apologies for skipping past it. I forgot. I used to have my old room, which was kind of the cover for everything, right? But when all of this happened, he decided to tell his parents, we're going to renovate the other room upstairs. So for that reason, Hakeem needs to share a room with me now. So that's how we got away with it.
0: His family just don't question him at all either. No, No, because because he's the world's fucking biggest actor,
2: liar. So my old room became effectively a walk-in um, walk-in wardrobe. It was just a storage space for clothes because it was gonna be renovated. And one of the other bedrooms upstairs was then swiftly turned into a prayer room so that I could have some time to more so connect with my religion. And it would be beneficial for the whole house, don't get me wrong, everyone can use the space. But ultimately having that room there will remind me of how I, Did wrong and how you know your faith is never too far away from you so if I was to ever contemplate doing anything again I should think twice because of there's a prayer room so that explains that so my routine I'd leave the bedroom in the morning he would lock the door go to work the other rooms would be locked except for the prayer room and I would go downstairs and spend my day in the living room more or less um, or in the garden Um, I started doing a bit of gardening And, um, yeah, then he'd come back during his lunch break to check in on me and then he'd go back to work and then he would come back towards the end of the day. And that's when the bedroom door would be unlocked again. This became the routine every single day of the week, except for the weekend when the family would all get together. And of course, that's when the real performance starts. You know, you pretend to be one big, happy family, part and parcel of their family and, um, Participate in everything as if it's all good. But knowing that everyone does think that you've got a mental disorder of some sort that but they then need to. But you weren't be...
1: coming across like you had a mental disorder, right? You were coming across no. like you were okay. So Absolutely. But they're just taking his word and being like, Yeah, yeah, he's taking he's mentally unstable less you lot have to stay with him.
2: Absolutely.
0: So he's literally got you. And from every single aspect, you know, he's like got you out from where you were living before to into his house. You know, you don't even have the job you had before, so you don't even have financial security or freedom either. And then he's literally got you on lockdown pre fucking lockdown. Mm. So it's just like he's just got you from every single angle. And then it's so crazy that no one is able to raise an eyebrow. And I, I don't know, I think when you reflect on things and you, you hear it, the story being told like this, you think like, oh, like, how could no one, like, question this, or this is so out of character, and blah, 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 but, you know, as Tasha was saying... At, at, at those times you know you've got your own life to live not that you know you're not important or anything like that but you know also if the person's not going to be forthcoming about what's going on then you feel like you can only do so much and then these things just slip aside mm. so how did you get to the point of leaving him like how what how let's go to that point like you've literally in it in prison trapped mm. with this guy how did you break free
2: so I was planning for a while to escape somehow, so there came a point where I, during that period where I was out of work, living that way that I was, it lasted only till January the 1st or 2nd, so we're literally looking at a two month period where I really sat in that routine um, and not challenged it at all. I started secretly getting in touch with the Birmingham LGBT uh, Center and uh, I'd start communicating with them privately. I'd use, for example, the landline telephone. I had a mobile phone, but it was a phone that he had given me that had a GPS settings. Um, it, had the child, um, it had the child settings on that phone so he could see absolutely everything that I would even do on the phone throughout the day. So I used to use the landline and I'd contact them and I was in contact with A particular individual who I touch base with every so often and so eventually she said to me you need to think about running and that manifested into what happened in January of that year because they helped book me a coach from Birmingham to London they then got me a cab and one day I managed to sneak out of the house when no one was home and then I got on that coach and I came to London Now, this is where it gets bad before it gets good. But I promise there is a silver lining. I came to London and went to the family member's house, my aunt, who had found out about me because of the ex. And I thought that I'd essentially broken free. Temporarily, I was thinking, I've done it. I've come back to London. I'm going to start my new life. I'm going to be whoever I want. And uh, that's the end of the story. At least I wish that was. I really, really wish that was. Because I came back here and uh, at first it was okay. I started accessing support here, counselling, but they were sending me across London for this and for someone that who'd been kept indoors, unless they were chaperoned to go outdoors, that was a bit of a hurdle for me. Mm. I didn't feel very confident taking public transport again alone. So my aunt started to see the negative side of that or see it in a negative light started believing that because of how I was a bit damaged, you could say, that it wasn't good energy to have around her or her family, her house. So what went from me thinking I found a safe space turned into, I've got a safe space, but they kind of don't want me here. And I've kind of got nowhere else to go at this point. So my aunt tried to get me to move in with my gran, that didn't work because whilst I was setting up my room in my grand's house, this is all within two weeks, um, there was a knock on the front door of my grand's house and my aunt says, would you mind getting the door for me please? So I run across the house, open the front door, lo and behold he was stood there again just like he was when I opened the door in Newcastle. I let him into the house and then I locked myself in the washroom and started texting my aunt, please drop me to the train station, open the side gate so I can leave at the back of the house. Get me out of here, please. He's come to take me back. How
1: the fuck has she trapped you? Like, I don't understand why she would have... Why? Why? Because of some bad energy in the house. Like, this is your life. Mm
0: -hmm. Also, did you feel obliged to let him into your grandma's house?
2: I did. Because my grandma knew him. Because he used to be part and parcel of our family, right? The family loved him. Oh, you can't tell
0: your grandma the nature of your relationship. But your auntie knew.
2: But my auntie knew everything. Everything that happened. Everything. And so we ended up leaving my grands, going back to my aunt's house to have a chat. And the end of that chat was I got into a car with him and came back to Birmingham. And
0: your aunt let you do that?
2: My aunt encouraged it. She sat me in the living room with my uncle, him me, and we spoke for hours as to why the best solution for now is that I go back to Birmingham. And your
0: auntie basically helped you convince She you. fished
2: me out of the pond and threw me into his bucket again. So off I went back to Birmingham. But I agreed in that living room that if I go back, I want everyone to know that this relationship is over. I'm going back because it's the right thing to do for me right now. How did you even bear that like,
0: car journey back up to Birmingham from London with him?
2: It was quiet. Yeah. It was very quiet. I mean, he had packed all my things in the car, by the way, <laughs> as if they were going to be dropped off to me. So all right. my belongings were in the boot of the car, and the back of the car. But there was no intention of me staying in London. It was all about getting me back to Birmingham, back into the house, back into that room. So I came back and that's when I started plotting as to how and when the eventual proper exit will happen. I've already established at this point, I do not love this individual. Mm -hmm. I am in the relationship more or less platonically because I need to be here for my own good. At that point in time, my mind was still thinking, I need to go back to that house for my own good because I've clearly got nowhere else I can go. I tried to run, but look at that. Zindagi just brought me straight back to where I started. Okay, no matter how hard I tried. So part of the conversation with my aunt and uncle and him was, you haven't got a job, you're not driving, you've got no foundations upon which to stand. So when you get to that point, then leave with dignity. Say goodbye to his family properly. Wish them well, because everything they've done for but you. But she
1: knew what was going on between you two. But she, she
2: knew, knew exactly what was going on.
1: She knew how he, how he had been with you. He, like, she knew. Right. This is, this is just a mind-fucking, like, blowing joke, like...
0: And not to shit on all Asians, yeah. But this is such an Asian thing. Like, do you not feel? When yeah. You that? It is. Do you know? It is just that fucked upness that you get in Asian families. Do you know what I mean? Because as long as, you know, they're somehow benefiting themselves, or, you know, just doing whatever they yeah, want to do. take your
1: energy. Take this bad negative energy. Take and, it out of the you house. You know, other people will see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, fuck you. Like, are you kidding me? You're supposed to be my family and you right. fucking sent me back to yeah. this fucking
0: dickhead.
2: Yeah. You summarized it perfectly. And that's exactly what I thought for ages. Ages, honestly. Oh, this is
0: why I wish we just like knew before. Yeah, like, really. like it, it hurts me because it's
1: like, yeah. yo, you were, you were there at her house.
2: Yeah. We could 10 have got minutes you. away
1: yeah, from, exactly.
0: from
2: us. I was in my head so much so to the point that I just did not think at all beyond that. So I thought auntie knows about me because he's told her, she knows everything that's going on right now. That's the only place I can go. But this is in my this head. is
0: not uncommon either. Sorry to even interrupt you like that, mm-hmm. but it's it's not uncommon. I've I, I think people who have not been through, any kind of experience remotely like this like to think they have an idea of what they would do if Mm -hmm. they were in this position and a lot of it is oh I would do this and I would do that but obviously as you're explaining like you've you've done the utmost to try and escape and he's still come and found you like it's not easy it's not easy at all when you have someone this toxic Controlling you and your life, and it is—it's a massive thing. Like you know, they've broken you mentally, spiritually, financially, anythingly, and it's not hard. It's—I mean, it's not easy. Sorry to to leave that person and escape this life. And I think a lot of people, like I said, just like to think that they would do stuff differently, and also the other thing I observed by you, your auntie telling you to go back is just. I don't know if it's because maybe dim- domestic violence is somewhat of a norm in like Asian culture, but there's so many victims I've, I know who've been told to just go back to their perpetrator. Yeah. And that is, is, such a common thing. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, us hearing it is just so shocking and outrageous, but I don't know if it's because it is such a common taboo that is in nearly every Asian household that it is just like so easy for them to be like yeah go back go back to them It it. it exists
2: in my own family in my own household with my my own parents so it definitely perplexed me to think yo this is crazy I've gone through something which my family knows it's not like they're oblivious to it they've it's not the first time they've seen something like this but we're just playing out the same advice that we've given to all the individuals in my family that have suffered through something like this, which is just go back. Then you think, for me in that situation, my plan flopped. And it flopped because, no, it didn't flop because, but it flopped when it involved the aunt that knew about me. Effectively, at that point in time, the closest person to me in terms of who really knows me, that plan flopped. I'm really not in a position at that point to think, let's go outside the box. Let's see who else there is.
0: And also, I remember, you you know, you growing up and and how close you were to your auntie. Like, we know your auntie too. And I remember that bond so much. And it must be devastating as a young person that's always looked up to a family member for them to (laughs) suddenly stop being your family. And I don't know, like, essentially turn their back on you um
2: relationships I, change when you become an adult right
0: yeah it's absolutely crazy yeah. and then you start to see people for who they really are and it's just like
2: 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah and so um i then continued with that routine as it was girls so from january through february march that year it was just the same shit every day difference was that i would have doctor's appointments and counseling appointments for my mental health. I was definitely depressed, no doubt about it. I was on citalopram um, so antidepressants and I would take that routinely each day to kind of help to in a way suppress how I was feeling. At the end of the day that's what those types of drugs do. Uh, they keep you from bouncing between uh, one extreme of an emotion to another extreme of an emotion by leveling you out. In a way that was a another shackle but one that I felt I needed, because without it, I thought to myself, would I then go down the suicide route again? So I was getting help from a counsellor. I was seeing the doctors regularly. Those appointments, I would be dropped and picked up by him. My counselling appointments, in fact, I'd be in the counselling room, uh, in the therapist's room, and he would be sat outside in the waiting area.
0: So did you feel like you can't even talk to your, to your counsellor therapist properly? you like 100 You can't, You're 100% you can't right. even do your...
2: And someone like myself who had been going through this for so long, I knew and I had already calculated depending on what I say to people in authority, it could have a negative repercussion on him and his family. So I'm only going to say up to a certain point that I know that I'm literally hanging by a thread between the the therapist thinking that they can help me and then picking up the phone to escalate it to the authorities. And I did the same thing with my doctors and I did the same thing with the counsellor. And she knew this. She used to say to me, you do realize that these sessions, you're not going to gain anything out of them in the way that we would intend, or I would imagine you would intend a counselling session to go or a period of counselling to go. I used to say to her, absolutely, I 100% know this, but it's the one time of the week that I get to be in a room without him talking to somebody face to face that I can be almost absolutely open. I remember saying to that at one point. I know that if I tell you some extra bits of information, that this won't be a counselling session anymore. I know you'll have to report things, but unless I say those things, you can't actually do anything because it said it in the agreement that we signed. And so I remember that time she chuckled a little bit and she said, you clearly know what you're doing when you're talking to me, and I says, well, at least I'm getting something out of it. time away, a bit of a break, a chat with somebody. So. It was even saying act. that much out loud <laughs> you know
0: what i mean even like nearly daring yourself to actually yeah. you know speak your actual truth it can be really intimidating because then you know i i always felt with like my trauma my experiences growing up you know if i spoke about it then it's real and yeah. then it's just so much easier not to and yeah. somehow like you said you can compartmentalize it exactly so then how, you know, what is the point? Where is the break free?
2: The break free the starts sayonara, now.
0: Mm-hmm. see a sucker, Zain. where is that moment?
2: Alvida. <laughs> <laughs> the point at which everything changes is that summer in June, when I got my job, there came a point where he felt comfortable with me going back to work. That was step one. So he helped me look for work. I was applying myself. Um, I then got the job that I have now. And that honestly was the beginning by getting that job. It then gave me time out of the house, time away. And those hours I couldn't be touched. I could not be messed with because they were mine. And ultimately it led me to do quite well with my work and build a really good reputation within the company. And thankfully that was then recognized. And you know, it's ultimately why I'm still working there. So at that point I had gotten the job step one. I then started working on step two, which was mobility. So I started taking driving lessons. The driving lessons were under certain conditions. So um, they were at points that he felt comfortable with. He would make sure that they were at, on days and times that um, usually fitted around his schedule. But nonetheless, there were driving lessons. I wanted to get a quick turnaround. So I did an automatic driving lesson, obviously. Don't don't throw shade. It's all good. Um, automatic lives matter. And so... Um, I got my license, got a shitty banger and started driving myself to work, driving myself home, building the confidence of having a little bit more incremental independence. I then started um, getting a bit closer to particular individuals because if you remember, I really had no friends around me other than the friends that I was hanging around with in his circle, effectively portraying a very normal lifestyle but ultimately not having my own personal circle that were close to me. So I started getting close to one of my colleagues at work who I ended up confining in quite a lot, quite quickly. I realized that this friend that I've got at work, A, he can't touch her, and B, he doesn't know her. So this is safe. He's not sitting outside of the room in the counseling persons um, in in their office. This is discreet. And at the same time, I'm having a laugh because it's my friend at work. So I started talking to her quite a lot. And those conversations became step three, which were building my confidence and self-belief. That was already coming in part from having a career, a job that would boost you in one way, right? You feel good when you have a good day at work. You feel shit when you have a shit day at work. But ultimately, work fulfills a certain need to be valued. But then this was step three, which was having confidence in myself, self-belief, building my self-esteem, you know, she was bigging all of that up at the same time as building a really good friendship with one another. I then started talking in greater detail about some of the negative things that had been going on, um, telling her more than even the counsellor knew, because at that point I trusted that she's not going to pick up the phone and tell the police, but she knows, and if she knows it's better than it being stuck in my head. Because that was damaging for my own mental well-being, to be honest. And so she would constantly tell me and remind me often when we'd have our personal chats, you need to get out. She would keep punching into my head. You need to get you need to get out. I want to see you out of there. By the end of the year, you know, she would give me time, time frames to work with. And it's not like they were met in the first instance. But it was still that push, you know, it's still that push to make me think, okay.
0: Yeah, some guidance so that, and, yeah. and some form of accountability by creating
2: exactly. that schedule. Exactly. Yeah. So I then started thinking slowly, very, very slowly, about how it would look when I leave, what I would do to get out. Between me and him, we knew a relationship was over. That part was accepted already. But there was no time frame on when I would be able to leave. I got the job. I got the license. I got the car. That effectively is what I had agreed to in the January when I ran to London and I came back again. Those were the things that were considered foundations that I needed to get out or leave mm-hmm. the relationship. So once I had those things, of course, he wasn't in a position to talk about when is this actually going to end. I would try and insert conversation here and there when he was in a really good mood and it was less awkward to talk about. And it would always I'd always get the same answer. Um, when the time is right, when it naturally fizzles out, or when one of us gets married.
0: What oh, the hell? Fuck off!
2: So that's oh, another so problem, is I'm so sick of it?
0: this guy, man. I actually can't anymore. I just can't even hear it. it? So yeah, yeah,
2: one of the ways out would be to get married to a girl. And at least that way, it justifies you moving out in front of everyone that needs to be married. What, and going to you with <laughs> some poor bajari who doesn't eat. Do you know what I mean? Exactly.
0: Sorry. He's actually too much. Like, I just... Like with the blood that is boiling in me right now, I can't, I just can't.
2: Honestly, honestly. But with that said, with that said, I started from time to time looking at properties, places that I can go, feeling more like an independent adult, very, very gradually, like I've already said. Okay, starting to understand the real world a little bit um, with the help of my friend at work. And much of the stuff that I used to do was actually during lunch breaks. Um, or you know after work if we stayed back a little bit we would talk in depth about certain things I would then say I was working late but actually I would literally be in the office talking to my my best mate in the office and he couldn't mess with that right of course time to time as he challenged it he said why are you working so late regularly or you know did you have to work late that day what did you do when you were working late were you the only one in the office when you're working late these sorts of things you know I know I'm not the only person that gets that at all. I know that. That routine lasted quite some time to the end of 2020. Okay, so over a year that that routine lasted where I was building myself up. I was having those conversations. In fact, at the beginning of 2020, my friend actually said to me, by the end of, she said it outside her house. We were sitting in the car one night and she said, um, by the end of 2020, you have to be out of there. I want you to have New Year's, not with him, not in that house. And at that point, I laughed it off. I remember saying, yeah, 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 you know, let's just hope so. God willing, inshallah, that happens. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. And she hooked onto that. I remember her saying, no, it's not about if it doesn't, it doesn't. You need to put the things in place to make that happen. And um, honestly, she could not have been more right. Because in December 2020, I took the first trip to my parents' house up in Newcastle, completely alone in my car. Before that, I'd always gone with him and it's always in his car, always on his terms. I went in my car and I spent a week there. And when I came back on December the 19th, 2020, he was very off with me. It was a Saturday. And his whole family were over, but he kept acting really booky, as if something was wrong. There was something in the air, clearly, but he wasn't telling me what it was. But he was just just a bit shady. And the whole family left. I realize I've just told you that I've been seeing people in lockdown. But hey, you know, at least I'm honest about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So on the Sunday, the 20th, we were doing some charity work. So we used to do this once a month project throughout lockdown and before, um, which was a community organisation that we used to be involved with. It was a household community organisation. We used to support uh, vulnerable families and in particular, vulnerable women in East Birmingham in particular with um, a hot meal every month and groceries. So we used to do that kind of support and we used to do the delivery on the the first Sunday of every month. So for December, we did it as an exception on the 20th. Um, we did two that month. So we did our routine, We, me and him jumping in the car. He specifically wanted to go in my car. He didn't want to drive in his car that day. So I thought, okay, packed our bags. We started doing the deliveries to the uh, service users. And halfway through, he asked to see my phone, um, to play music. So I thought, all right, go ahead. I just handed my phone. He knew the password anyway, because uh, like I mentioned earlier and in the last last chat we had, he knew my details for everything. So he went on my phone playing music, all that good stuff. But eventually he started to sort of move my phone slightly as we were talking and then kind of shuffle in his seat and start going through other things. You can kind of see when someone's not just scrolling through your Spotify playlist because you start seeing their thumbs moving left, right, up, down, side to side, diagonal, everything, you know, double tapping, zooming in. You get the picture. He wasn't on Spotify. I had nothing to hide, so I just thought, okay, he's just being very curious. Go ahead, enjoy. When all the deliveries were over, we um he asked me to drive to Acosta. I thought, all right let's go to Costa. I thought we'd go to the nearest one, but he dropped the line, which was one of the most painful lines over seven years, which was, let's go for a drive. Now, I'm telling you, when you're in a relationship or a situationship or an entanglement, whatever name you give it to what I had, and that line is used, let's go for a drive. That phrase was a trigger and a half for me. Because I had so many memories attached to the phrase, let's go for a drive. They normally ended up bad, just to put a full stop on that. And they were anything between an argument to being on a uh, in a motorway service station out in the middle of nowhere in basketball shorts, a vest and a hoodie with a lit cigarette being held to your eye. So I didn't know what to expect. So he starts saying, let's go left, right, over the roundabout, before you knew it, I was in a part of Birmingham that I'd never been to. I had no clue where I was. And then that's the Costa he wants to go to. We get to Costa and he says, go inside, go get the drinks. And I say, okay, pass me my phone, send me the order and I'll go inside and order some drinks. He says, no, you can remember the order and I'm keeping hold of your phone. I thought, okay. I had no problem with it because I had nothing to hide. Went, got the drinks, came back. We proceeded on the road for about two minutes. And then there was a McDonald's and he says, pull up in the McDonald's. We did. And I switched the engine off. And he looks, lights a cigarette. And says, so you tell me. Why are we here? And at that point, I was thinking, okay. We're here because you've asked me to pull up. And he says, no, tell me why we're really here. What have you done? Why are you... The same person that you were two and a half years ago, and if you remember, two and a half years prior was when everything surfaced about me uh, cheating in those in the in that period. And I says this is what I don't like when you start to patronize me like this, pull me into situations like this when I have not done anything because it just never ends well for me. And he started getting annoyed by that. He started saying, what were you up to in Newcastle? I says, I was there Monday to Friday. I was working during those days from my laptop and I was with my family. He says, but were you really working? Did you take any sick days when you were there? I says, no, I didn't take any sick days. How do you, how do I know that? You can ask my mum. You can ask my dad, my siblings. Hmm. Did you have annual leave when you were up there? He says, no, I was working. I just told you. The tension started building at this point between us more because I was getting admittedly a bit defensive, but because I knew that I'm being challenged over what here? Literally nothing. And
0: also you're yeah, at a breaking point of this BS. like Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: I'm literally on that breaking point at this point. He then starts saying who is a particular user on Snapchat when he read the name i started giggling i have to admit to you guys i started giggling it's because the particular user that he read out in the way that he read it thinking that i'm because he actually said are you secretly talking to this individual is this your new thing yeah is this who you're is this who you're talking to is this who you're cheating on me with and i started laughing more i says do you know who this person is he says no but i'm sure you do i says yeah i do This person is massive on social media. They make viral TikTok videos, Snapchat videos, Instagram videos. They're from the UK, but they're a comedian. Everyone knows who this person is. And he says, yeah, I'm sure. I says, no, really? Like, he's so good that he's now got a gig with the National Television Service. This is not what you're thinking it is. And at that point, I took a sip from my very hot coffee, bearing in mind we had only 10-15 minutes before, pulled out of Costa. And uh, as I pulled my drink to my face, he decided to just wallop me across the face. And of course, because the cup was where my mouth is, the lid, well, the cup smacked into my face, the lid popped off and the entire coffee just went over my hair, my face... My torso and then onto my crotch. And of course, no one likes hot coffee to the crotch, do they? I froze for a second. But for the first time in years, and I don't know what it was, but it was the breaking point. And because I had built up resilience effectively over months and months. And I'll be honest, because of that one particular friend who had kind of just been my Jiminy Cricket throughout everything since getting my job I opened the door and I just got out the car he had my phone of course but I grabbed my bag that had my wallet and I just dripping in coffee I walked into the McDonald's hoping to speak to a manager and whilst I'm waiting I look to the right and I look up and he was stood next to me and he looks down at me and says so what are we ordering And at this point, it's as if my brain had just imploded. I thought, this is not happening today, okay? I made a run for the door, and I jetted across the road onto the dual carriageway. It was the first time in my life that I'd ever seen the guy run, and he chased me. I didn't even know he could run. He chased me across the dual carriageway. When I got to the other side, he caught up with me, and he grabbed my wrist he grabbed it in such a way. I have a weak point on my wrist, you see. He grabbed it in such a way and pressed it that he knew that it would effectively just disable my whole arm. It would just go floppy, and then he pulled me across the road. There was a bus stop right in front of the McDonald's. He took my the material on my shoulders of my my um, my fleece that I was wearing. The uh, ironically, it was the community kitchen, the um, the charity fleece that I was wearing. And he lifted me and pushed me into the clear glass Pyrex screen basically of the bus stop and says get in the car, you're not going anywhere, this conversation isn't over. And I wiggled and wiggled myself free and made a run. As I did, he grabbed my bag that I had around me. So I just did a one move, got out of the bag, let him have it. At this point he's got my phone, my wallet, everything. I've literally got nothing on me and I run. Uh, he chases me and he slips on some wet leaves on the floor of the dual carriageway. I look back and see him on the floor, but I just run. And then that is when I started what became a nine hour walk around Birmingham. Because I had no idea where I was. So I, after I stopped sprinting, I started asking for some directions to try and get to where I realized North Birmingham To south birmingham um to where of course my best friend lives so i took directions from people in their cars and the streets road signs and just kept walking really unfortunately me being me the inner asian eventually came out because when i got to her front door about three and a half four hours later from walking from north to south um her mum opened the door and I was in pieces, to be honest. But I was holding it together because I am a prim and proper, well-behaved Asian guy. And I just say, auntie, is, is she home at the moment? And auntie said, no, she's not at home at the minute. She's um, popped out. She's gone to, to see her friend. And I remember just saying to auntie, I said, oh, okay, just let her know that I stopped by. Um, but I haven't got my phone on me, so let her know not to call me. But um, just to let her know, I stopped by, and Auntie said, "You're right, yeah." I says, "Yeah, I'm fine. Um, I'll stop by and see you guys another time." She says, "Okay," and so at that point, I began walking to city centre Birmingham. Now earlier, I mentioned that two years prior, I had called Birmingham LGBT centre, and so I thought in my head, if I can't go to see my best friend. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to their office. So I walked down. And when I got to the office, by this point, it was like nine o'clock at night. (laughs) And um, the office was closed. Uh, It was a Sunday, of course. Um, The office was closed. It's obviously locked down, And it's Sunday as well. And it's late. So then I thought, great, where do I go now? So I went to New Street Station and I sat there for a bit trying to figure out what to do, until security asked me if I was traveling, and I said no. um, I just had a rough day, and they said, well, you can't sit here if you're not traveling because of health and safety. It's lockdown. You shouldn't be out here if you're not doing it with reason. I wasn't going to tell the security guard everything that happened, especially because it was an Asian guy. I'm not going to sit there and explain. So I just thought, all right, I'm going to go. So I got up and walked back to the LGBT Center and just rung the bell a couple more times and just thought to myself, come on, come on, come on. You know, there has to be someone, a security guard even in there. But nah. So I thought at this point, I'm starting to feel a bit shit. Um, You know, tired, hungry. Um, Cold. So... I walk back to my best friend's house and you know, by the time I get there, I wasn't really in good shape. I stopped off at a popular takeaway. And I asked if I could just have a bottle of water and how much it would cost. And the guy just said, you look like you've had a rough day, have some water. In fact, do you want a meal? I thought to myself, oh shit, I'm a working guy. I am, in my eyes, the kind of day-to-day, stereotypical South Asian guy. I've got a job, I've got a family, ultimately, you know, I've got people close to me. And I'm in a takeaway asking how much water is. Not even that, actually, I asked if I can have tap water if it's free. And the guy says, don't drink tap water. Here, have his bottled water. And says, do you want food? And I says, no, I'm okay. And um, he says, are you sure? I says, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. And then I left and I continued my walk. I got to my best friend's house and knocked. at this point. I was honestly not feeling good. Um, Her mum opened the door and at this point says, get in the house. She obviously knew what had happened. Um... And if I'm honest, I'm glad my friend wasn't there at the point because uh, when I got through that front door, and thank God for Auntie because I was at such a point physically that I don't think I could hack it anymore. So I just gave out. And um, Auntie kind of carried me over to the sofa and she laid me down wrapped me up took my face mask off which obviously i've been wearing for hours it's disgusting it's dripping with condensation but ultimately it helped keep me a bit warm at least and um she called my best friend and um, she came running Uh, she drove home it turns out that they'd been searching for me because my ex-partner told everyone that i disappeared and i'd run away and I've got mental health problems, so everyone needs to be extra vigilant to find me, isn't it? Because I'm vulnerable, and ultimately, I could be self-damaging. So obviously, they didn't all know what actually happened. Um, my best friend came. Turns out the police were looking for me because the ex had contacted the police and said I'd run away. They asked him when he reported a missing person, but why did he run? You said he ran from his own car. Why would he run? And he told them what he did. It turns out, when I spoke to the police officer later that night, because they contacted my friend and they rang her phone, and uh, she was honest and said that he is with me now. When I spoke to the police officer, she said, he didn't actually realize that what he did to you was assault but he didn't get it she says I had to explain to him that what you did was what a able-minded person should do in that situation so what else did he expect so she says I completely get what's going on here so she said don't worry no one's going to tell him where you are we're just going to tell him that we know where you are and that you're safe that's all that he needs to know him and his family were ringing up my best friend. They were trying to suss out whether she was lying, whether she knew any more info. And honestly, she needs an Oscar, a BAFTA, a Tony, any up and coming awards that you can think of. She needs all of them because she held down that performance like it was the last performance she was giving. <laughs> she convinced them, really, and they, integra- they integrated her. Of course they integrated. They interrogated her. They interrogated her and interrogated her. They pushed every button in this girl's head. They questioned her and she still held it down. I don't know how, but she was very convincing. It makes me nervous actually, because it makes me think, wait, what if she done the same thing to me at some point? (laughs) But um, we then started planning what's next. This is step four and step five and ultimately step six. Step four was about finding somewhere that is safe. Right. So the next day, because it's lockdown, it wasn't convenient. I'm putting them out as well because, you know, we're already we're already living in overpopulated houses as it is, especially in our Asian community. We've got too many heads to one house. So and it's uh, locked down. We can't be playing too many games with those rules, you know. So we got an Airbnb out in uh, outside of Birmingham and we checked in there for a couple of days so that it was somewhere safe that we could start to put a formal plan in place. So she drove me there. She came with me and we stayed there for a couple of days between the 20, the 21st of December and the 25th of December. And while we were there, I spoke to the family. Um, I eventually got my things back, a few of my items. Uh, my best friend coordinated it all. She was in contact with him saying, you know, give him his things back. He's gone from your house now. He's gone from you. He needs his stuff. He's only got the clothes that he came to me in, which were covered in coffee stains. So she managed to get a few of my things back. And him being him, when he met her and gave her my things, he gave them in a gift bag. And he gave a toothbrush, a pair of socks, a t-shirt. And I thought to myself, you're joking me these are my belongings Fucking bring? like this this is all you're gonna give me um it's but hey
0: i can't i can't take it i just i mean I just, sorry i just can't. <laughs> i just
2: ugh. once again we spent those days and we didn't waste a minute started thinking about where i'm gonna go where i'm gonna live where is somewhere safe for me and i i was in contact with you know the local council housing stuff like that and that was an eye opener Because what I realised in that time, in those few days, is that the system as it stands really caters towards domestic violence being seen in a very particular structure. So what I mean by this is I was being told very directly and very clearly by the housing officers on the phone that the only thing that I can get as a place to stay that's safe, is going to be a and b and it will have to be a mixed b and I tried to explain, and I actually had a letter from the LGBT domestic violence worker advising against having me in any communal spaces, especially at that point with other guys, because it was too fresh, it was too raw, mm. it was too recent. Um, so their actual professional opinion was that someone like myself needs to be alone, but with the right support mechanisms in place. Unfortunately, I didn't qualify for it because I wasn't with any children. And it was made quite clear because I wasn't female escaping from domestic violence. So I couldn't go to a domestic violence safe house because they are for women with children or single women. The only place I could go to would be an all-male house or a mixed BNB. And I just said, no, that I can't do that. So who came to the rescue? My best friend. She got in touch with her cousin and said, look, can you give him somewhere to stay just while he sorts it out for a bit longer? And thankfully, she said, yeah. And so I went there and I spent the next. Well, I spent New Year's there, basically, Um, just a week and a bit. And I worked hard during that time to kind of put together the resources, figure out what's the next step and how is it going to happen in terms of my accommodation. I ended up speaking to my line manager at work. This time, during all of this period, by the way, I was on annual leave, so they didn't really care where I was. But um, I actually ended up speaking to my line manager and explaining, look, this is the situation. I knew it was confidential, so I felt at least if my line manager knows the truth of what's going on, I won't feel personally as embarrassed, right? Because um, like you guys already know, um, I'm not completely out. It's kind of, uh, I read something yesterday. It's not always about coming out. It's about who you let in as well. So I was at a point, and I still am, where it's more about who I let in rather than coming out. Uh, so I told him in confidence. And he says, you should have told me from the beginning. I says, why? He says, because the company can help you. I thought, no way. This is a blessing. And, I, and he says, give me a few hours. Even though at this point it was a Sunday. He says, let me see what I can do. An hour later, he calls me back and he says, the company is going to give you an advance on your pay. It's going to be deposited into your account as soon as possible. Use that money for a deposit to find somewhere. Don't wait around for BNBs and and hostels and all of this. You, you, you can do this. Uh, literally... Two hours later, I looked at my bank balance and it had gone from nothing to having an advance on my salary. And I thought, perfect. This is insane. This is my life right now. And then I had a cash deposit. This is where it changes. I'm not just going to look for a room. I want to find a room with a household that is a few in numbers. And B, LGBT friendly. Because that is the safest space for me right now. Yeah. Because simply no one else, even the authorities and the system in play, will not truly understand. You know, I'm never going to forget the housing officer when she says to me, and she was, she was a Muslim sister actually. And I remember her saying to me on the phone, you know what, my brother, your situation is difficult. But... The way things work, I'm just sorry that we can't do more for you in your situation. But, you know, I have to be honest about it. If you were a woman, we could have helped you a bit more. And I thought, so no one's really going to get it except a household, like I just described. The first person I messaged turned out to be where I live now. The landlord wrote back to me. I gave a really brief outline, very brief. This is the situation. This is what I'm doing right now. I have got access to deposit funds. Please, can I move in? And bada bing, bada boom. The 1st of January 2021, I moved into the house that I live in now. And it's far enough from where I used to live. Nowhere near. And it means that I've been able to start carving out Step six, the beginning of me. You know, the first time that I've been truly independent, that I've been totally in control of my choices, what I do day to day, everything is up to me. I have rewarded myself in a way with this freedom. And I'm not gonna lie, nothing is perfect. I've got a lot of work to do and I've definitely got a long way to go, but I at least I'm in a position now talking to you guys where I really recognize just what kind of leaps I've made since January the 1st. I was in touch and still am with the Birmingham LGBT uh, support center. I work with them. I chat with them on a weekly basis. I have also through them, gotten in touch with counselling because obviously this isn't just a romantic end to a story where that's it all of a sudden I found the the golden key and I've unlocked it and all of a sudden I've got perfect life of course not but I'm accessing the resources that I know I need and it's on my terms and now it's on my terms I know that I'm going to and I am benefiting so much more now than when I was accessing those same or similar resources in the heat of what was going on. So much so that um, it turns out that the Birmingham LGBT Support Centre realised that there's a lot of um, crossovers between what I've been talking to them about and what a lot of the younger people between the ages of 17 up to where I am at 26 and even older than me there's a lot of similarities and a lot of the issues that are being experienced but it seems and you know I guess at this point I can kind of pat myself on the back but it seems that I've got a bit more of a grasp now on the issues the steps that I took to get out and ultimately what I'm doing now moving forward And through the conversations I've been having with them, because it kind of sounds like I've got something which might make sense to a couple of people out there, they would like me to start when the time is right, start talking and working with some of those younger people in particular who are currently trying to access their services, but even they sometimes don't know what is the right way to go about helping a particular person and can any of us in this organisation really really relate to some of these stories to some of these younger people in, in specific in a way that Hakim can and so thankfully that's something that I'm working on at the moment.
0: No I honestly you should be proud of yourself it takes a lot to go through everything that you went through overcome it and then now start to advocate for it and you know do that type of work and it's a shame like i i understand where that housing woman is kind of coming from because i work in very similar lines to her Mm -hmm. public sector yeah and it, it really frustrates me every day i don't think people maybe understand i think we're like the enemy to other people who are like seeking the help because it seems like we're personally saying like no you can't and you Mm -hmm. know it's somehow our judgment on it yeah and i'm like it you know sometimes i have to be really frank or i do end up just being frank maybe it's inappropriate but i do just Mm -hmm. end up being like who do you vote for? <laughs> <Do> you know, <laughs> you're mad about for? this, but who do you vote for? Because, you know, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't control how much money this local authority gets. Like, yeah. I don't control, like, how much, you know, and it is because of this bullshit you know conservative governments suck your mom bojo but um i just you know they don't care for this you know it's so anyone listening to your stories, like there should be like appropriate help you know there should be appropriate help for people like him like it's ridiculous that we live in this first world country and and city and 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 that happens and it happens every day mm-hmm. bojo rishi yeah. free suck your mom it just i just it happens all the time and it's really sad and frustrating because it's like, there's physically nothing I can do. And, you know, the stretch that's put on resources and local authorities and how much we rely on charities and organisations. Charities and organisations are not getting the government funding that they maybe once did before. Absolutely. You know, people donating to them is just on the low. Of course, there is, especially in this COVID post-Brexit climate where there's no money anywhere. Yeah. It is so hard out here. It, you know, thank God for your best friend. You know, that's who we have to keep turning to in these times because sadly our government is not able to, I mean, they are able to, they're funding their own back pockets, but yeah. you know, that it's not going towards us. <laughs> it's not going towards right. the people who actually need it. Mm. And It's just heartbreaking to hear. And
2: one of the most common resources that was sent to me, particularly when I was um, sleeping um, at my best friend's cousin's house, when I was talking to the housing support and the LGBT center at that point, were numbers for organizations that are to do with domestic violence for men. But they were more so talking services. So we're definitely Mm -hmm. not short of talking services, you know, listening services, excuse me. But actual practical
0: help that you need. The practical solutions,
2: those are either few and far between or virtually non-existent. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, if I've got someone to call and have a chat with in regards to my situation and their role or their specialism is to listen and to essentially just have a chat about what's going on, and then if there's a necess- if there's a need for a referral, it would be how it was for me, which is a referral to the local housing department. But then once you're in to the local housing department, then you've moved away, like, just like I did, from the core issue, which was the domestic violence aspect. And you've moved into this is a man, single man, looking for a home and
0: you and you are not the priority like i get i get i get where that's coming you know where all the people in local authority and you know any organization is coming from there just isn't the money for people like yourself and this is probably one of the few times that men you know face a downfall in life in in this circumstance not in a i'm not trying to say in a really negative way i know men go through a lot as much as women do but this is you know, one of the few areas where women are prioritized for once. In, mm-hmm. and I, I hope agree. I'm not being insensitive when I say that, but you know, women do I appreciate get the short stick quite it. a lot. But again, I think, you know, you saying you telling your story will hopefully bring awareness around to the fact that it is men too. And I think people just say that maybe to be like politically correct, but they don't get it. Like it is men too. Yeah. yeah. It is meant too. And I, I hope that your story, you know, inspires someone to I hope so. to also, you know, break free from whatever situation they're going through or just look into, you know, charities, organisations like what can you know, if this story has hurt you, made you feel away, move away, you know, we would love if you could. Put that into actually doing something, you know, rather than listening to just this, you know, like, what can you actually do? 100%. Um, And it might, you know, you might not have money or anything to give to a charity or something like that. But you telling a friend, sharing this episode or, or you know, just looking, you know, Googling anything that you could possibly do to help. You know, money, sometimes people without money end up doing the most work because you are just one of many, sadly
2: It's true, you know, um, in terms of looking out for one another, um, when I got into the place that I live now, whilst I was really happy that I had a safe space, that I could just make my own in, in the way of having the free will and choice to live however I want to, leave out, you know, leave whenever I want to, come back whenever I want to. The real challenges for me, in all honesty, it sounds weird saying the real challenges, but the challenges became how do I relearn how to live alone again Mm -hmm. at my age now almost starting fresh as if I was a uni student again cooking doing my own shopping creating a routine laundry these sorts of things to maintain a healthy balance in life i had to re-figure out
0: but your life was on pause for such a long time you know this is this is it
1: wasn't even on pause it was controlled like you weren't able to do anything for yourself like everything from your the food you ate who you were with like where you went your your phone like your phone had like gps on it like he (laughs) knew every fucking thing about you what was actually yours
2: you know when it hit me the day it hit me was I was going to do my first shop after I moved into this place. I drove down to Audi or Lidl, one of those two. Who really knows where they are when they're there? They both look the same. But um, I was in the car park. I pulled up and I thought, yeah, I was pumped. I was like, I'm going to go do my first shop. I'm going to buy whatever the hell I want. I tell you now, I sat in that car park for 40 minutes. I reached in my bag. I put my face mask on and I just started bawling my eyes out. I was crying profoundly and I couldn't figure out why the hell I was crying. I was thinking, at this rate, I'm going to get a ticket for being in this car park for way too long because I'm crying for 40 minutes and then I'm going to go do my shop. You know, <laughs> I was thinking like that. But honestly... You
0: get two hours, honey. No, gee, thanks. <laughs> I, re- I
2: realised it was because I hadn't shopped for myself in ages. I didn't yeah. have that yeah. choice and I didn't know... When I go in there and there's all those people around me that all know what they're doing, Mm. at least to me, they all do. They've all got their lists. They've all got their families or they just know what they're doing. I'm going to be there just kind of out of my depth, figuring out like, okay, I know I need milk. I'm probably going to need some bread, some eggs. And I think the feeling was just too overwhelming.
0: But this will keep. I mean, I'm not to scare you or anything like that, but this will keep happening to you because when you go through trauma and then you have the time and space to process what's happening, you're reflecting, and then finally coming round to the conclusion and understanding that what happened to you was very wrong you know it you know it shouldn't have happened in the first place you know you really start understanding and feeling how fucked up it was the situation that you're in 100 percent. and you know that's 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 where you know i i kind of get where all these you know adults come from you know who just constantly thinking back on their life or wanting to be a kid again and, and starting over and all the, you know, midlife crises and things they yeah. go through It's because of really early on trauma like this. And then the PTSD kicks in yeah. and then who helps you put your life together like that as yeah. And you've got to hold on a job. You've got to hold down paying your bills, responsibilities, maybe a social life as well. If you're lucky, if you know, have, Even the ability to form relationships at that point. It is a lot. And there isn't enough help and support around this. But I hope conversations like this and episodes like this are the turning point. And it is just, you know, take a second and really think about what your friend might be going through or just try and be you know annoyingly persistent with those people even if they're not responding to you or something like you just showing up for them and texting them maybe every other day if that's what it takes yeah Yeah. you know just just that little bit of effort that text is gonna send you 10 seconds to send just keep doing it if you're really really worried about a friend like this yeah um because you know, God forbid. What if it wasn't for your best friend? Like, what would exactly. be happening, or what would be happening? Can beginning...
2: we just
1: can we just bring her in for one second? Can we just? <laughs>
2: you know, at the beginning She's of like, no. uh, at the beginning of the at the beginning of the first chat that we had, one of the opening points that I raised was around a lot of people is especially in our generation. It seems go through things like this, and no one really knows about it or it just gets worse and worse for them before it gets better. And uh, one thing I've discussed with you girls was around, I hope that down the line, our attitudes towards how we view one another in any social setting, in any social circle, changes. And the specifics that I mean in regards to changes is, okay, we're all a bit more, I'd like to In my mind we're all a bit more learned than our grandparents than some of our parents in many cases like for myself for example i'm definitely more learned than my parents in regards to academics what i've managed to achieve so for that reason i think we all need to with this generation and the next ones be more vigilant with not only our awareness of the world and politics and finances and all this kind of stuff but you know from the basic levels of social interactions being more aware and vigilant around spotting differences in someone's character spotting changes in somebody and i know that requires some level of social awareness you know you need to have a, you need to kind of tune your brain to recognize certain things but it's a healthy thing to do because once you start to re- recognize those signs that someone isn't going through something right as someone's going through something right now or it seems like they're off key, is there something I can do? You know, more people could hopefully act upon that. And it's not impossible, because the example I'm giving you is literally my best friend. She's not, and well, to me, she's one in a million. But I would like to hopefully imagine that for other people out there, there are individuals like her, or similar to her in regards to Being able to spot because she knew for a while, (laughs) she knew for a while in the way that she would talk to me that something was up quite early on. Mm. But like you said, Nikki, over time, she kind of persistently got herself closer because I wasn't willing to just obviously open up because someone going through that kind of thing isn't that co- is they're not that person they're not going to open up
0: and they won't necessarily do it for themselves how would you right. when you've been conditioned in a way you know and brainwashed 1000 yeah why would you do that for yourself exactly and yeah i just i can't believe you've been through everything that you've been through i feel annoyed as like people because you know obviously you do when you hear about this sort of stuff you naturally just feel guilty like i would have done something i could mm. have done something yeah, but i, I think it's massive props to you and to your best friend um to you coming out of the other side and now starting your healing journey because it is it is a journey as much as you went through the horrendousness and the trauma that you did you know this is this is going to be a whole new really turning is. point and it is you kind of like starting your 20s again almost because yeah. your life was on such pause and yeah. it was being this
1: is why I always say kids don't get into relationships early I'm not saying that this is going to happen <laughs> but, but they just they just rob you of, of such good times that, that you yeah. could have had and that you should have had and that you're entitled to because people get you know they get infatuated with love and, and they have this idea that like you know oh my gosh this person is doing so much for me and but i get what my life
0: but and... we say that and i say that as a heterosexual person i feel like i i say that quite a long as someone mm-hmm. who's been single a lot of their life i sometimes always wonder like oh is it me that i've not been in a relationship and i just you know put it so much on myself and then the other part of me is is glad that i haven't been yeah. with anyone because it has allowed me to figure out myself a lot more and i would say it's taken since the launch of this podcast and turning 25 for me to really get to that point and and really know about myself in that way and it's n- you know no shame or any offense to you but this i can understand why this happens so much in, in every community but especially in this one because of you know your situation not being able to come out to your family and you know say to them that i'm gay or, or, or even before you knew that you were you know yeah. any sort of indication of like i'm confused around my sexuality you weren't able to have that safe space that conversation really with anyone completely coming back to when we asked you in nando's you didn't feel that you could tell we us we took we took him out
1: to point. nando's because we were like we already fucking know like we already know <laughs> we were literally yeah. like <laughs> nando's we're like yes yeah, so what did tell, you us. Have to tell us like yeah. just tell us just tell us and he was like I'm not gay, and we're like you're right. I was gay. basically <laughs> trying
0: to like pull him out the closet for him, I honestly. Because we are
1: like out of everyone, and you know, out of everyone, we are probably the people that not probably we are the people that are, are fine with it. So yeah. that's why we were like, why doesn't he not just tell? Yeah, that how doesn't
0: he know this about <laughs> us type of thing? But. I mean, my whole point about saying all of that is, you know, I can completely understand how that happens because you didn't have a space, safe space to talk about it with your nearest and dearest, your family. You know, you didn't feel like you could talk about it at all. And then, lo and behold, you know, Aladdin rides in on his carpet, shows <laughs> the world, yeah, it takes you to Dubai, wherever it was, yeah, and um, <laughs> you know, and then that's that's what well, that's what I can I can completely get. That's how it happens because he's showing you love a love that we've, you know, been portrayed by from like movies, music, TV, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you're thinking like, yeah, I'm in this like great, healthy situation, yeah. and like I'm having what
2: I'm recreating yeah, that ideal.
0: Yeah, this ideal that you know is painted yeah. by everyone. Like I'm living in it. Yeah, and then because it's all you know, you go along with all the fucked upness because you're like, you know, you hear that there are hard times and hard sides to love. And like, this is it. And yeah. I'm just going to brunt it and go through it because it all gets better. this is what it means to be in love with someone and yeah. sacrifice and all these things. And you allow yourself to believe that narrative because that is sadly, weirdly what is portrayed <laughs> about it. And, you know, who the fuck are you? Go- like, compromise for what, bitch? Mm. Compromise for fucking what? It's like, true. What we- Tash
2: was saying earlier about the comment to young people in all seriousness, there's an element of truth in it. I was 20 when I met him. So I was 20 years old. Super impressionable. Just started at uni. And so, he was much older than you, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he would have been 26 when I met him. Yeah, so that's enough time. Okay, right, no, so yeah. I'm 20. That a young he's 26. One, and yeah. I had... I, I was at an age where you want to rediscover yourself. You want to redefine who you are. Um, and kind of rebrand yourself when you go to uni, right? And what I've realized is that there's a common factor between a lot of the stories that I've heard over these years um, through his circle, through just the community in general, which is younger guys around 18, 19, 20, 21, sort of that block there, getting with a guy who may be only a couple of years older, maybe up to, you know, however many years older, but the fundamental thing is older guys because they seem more... Put together, they seem more stable. They seem like they've got what they 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 seem to have what you want, Mm -hmm. they've got themselves figured out. And also, another layer of that is they are someone older who's a guy who you feel safe around. I myself didn't have a good relationship with my dad, and yes, let's say as it is, that probably gives me daddy issues. But recognizing that, I look back now and think, oh shit, I got with a guy who effectively is a little bit like my dad. However, I'm not the only one that's done that because I've heard of so many guys in this community from London, from Birmingham, Manchester, Bradford, as far as Scotland, young guys who have in some instances fled their cities because of what happens at home and then they've ended up getting with a guy who's a little bit older or a little bit older and... All hell breaks loose. And then they can't do anything about it. So they end up relying on the gay Asian scene, for example, to be like their second family. <laughs>
0: can't even like admit to having daddy issues but yeah I've definitely been with men that I know it sounds gross right <laughs> <laughs> no but I've I have only been with men I think as toxic as my dad was and mm. even though consciously I'm like I don't want to be in that situation I'm not and I'm actively trying not to put myself there yeah somehow always end up back there and Agreed. it's just like Agreed. what the actual fuck can I catch a break yeah you know I even like dated people who like my mom would approve of to be like yeah I'm gonna date people opposite my type and not try and be put in that situation and then for whatever reason your subconscious it's all you know is this toxicness or how or how to be loved in a really fucked up way and you realize like oh you can't actually allow someone to come in and do that you know you can't let someone come too close to you and get sucked in and just like stay with it forever type of thing absolutely and i suppose like where i'm going with this whole tangent about like daddy issues and things is is the need to like figure yourself out first before putting yourself in a situation again i'm not blaming you like there's there's no victim blaming when it comes here because i I think it's just it's just one of those things where you
1: it's like always better in hindsight like oh what could i what could i have done or for the next person who listens to this what what could they do you know
2: yeah, and yeah. that's the thing. I think that hits the nail on the head in regards to someone listening to this and reflecting upon this story in in uh, in regards to their own lives, their own stories. I'm hoping that either A, that it shows that there is a way to bring it to an end and it, it doesn't need to take as long as it took me. Perhaps if you recognize certain things earlier, then you can hopefully get yourself out of the situation Mm. sooner. Before it gets worse.
0: But yeah, it's, it's like RuPaul says. It's like, you know, how are you going to love somebody else if you can love yourself? Can I get an amen up amen, in here? Amen, sis. <laughs> and I think I probably said that in another episode of this series. But it is, it's just the truest words I it think is. I've ever, ever, ever heard. And, it's, yeah. and that's really hard for someone like yourself who's, you know, trying to explore your sexuality, not having like a safe space to do it. And yeah. then not being able to love yourself in that instance either because there are so many questions around yourself. You know, your culture, religion is telling you that, you know, you are like scum of the earth, like, you you know, gay people shouldn't exist, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to try and do that in that environment. Mm. Um, And
2: The irony is there with that point, that the irony in that point is through all of this over seven years, I've actually only gotten closer to my faith. So, of course, I'm not the perfect Muslim and I don't think anyone should regard themselves as a perfect Muslim, period. But (laughs) however, from where I was at 20, I was totally detached and I wasn't sure of anything. But now I've got my own um, my own relationship with my faith. It may not be perfect, but it's meaningful to me and I keep it close to me. And And that's what
0: religion should be. And it's amazing
2: the fact that, you know, I consider myself a Muslim. Yes, and I say it with confidence. Sis, I say it with chest when someone asks me about my faith. I don't hide from it. I don't shy away from it. I certainly no longer try and keep everything separate. Instead, what I do and how I live my life now is I accept that I am the way that I am. However... I am also fundamentally a Muslim and I apply the, the philosophy, the ethics of my faith to how I'm going about making my own choices now. And it's helping keeping me level. It's helping me keep grounded through this process of relearning who I am, rediscovering myself, what we discussed earlier, these upcoming chapters, um, it's all mine now, you know, um, it's up to me to make the choices And that is also in line with my faith as well. Mm. So actually, you don't have to pick one over the other. You don't. You can have it all, (laughs) technically. It's so so
0: crazy how we only know this with age, though, isn't it? Like, we couldn't have possibly have known. As much as we think, I definitely was someone who thought, like you know, typical teenager. You just yeah. know more than you do and, you know, you you are so much more mature for your age than other people around you and you think you're that adult. Yeah. Um, 100%. but you're you're not. You're still <laughs> such a baby in comparison Funny. to the further truth you've got a sort of swallow and take as you become older. Um and yeah, I hope I hope your story resonates with young I hope there's younger people listening to this who're gonna take a lesson or two from this because you know not to be completely scared of men or relationships full stop but also just you know if you don't know yourself that's fine do you know what I mean like to be find a way to be comfortable in like sitting with yourself being with yourself figuring figuring yourself out
2: and hopefully
0: that... I thought you should said finger
2: again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
0: God. Imagine that. Did. She did.
2: did. She did. When you oh listen my... to this back, i am you, to play that bit and no, save it for don't. me. don't. <laughs> don't. So
0: oh, right. I
2: mean,
0: yeah, but that's also another form of self-love. <laughs> so if you ain't gonna do that, then you gotta do that. Okay. <laughs> Don't take someone else's dick. You can love face. yourself. You can love yourself. He's probably running the face. Do not. You, that's that's point.
2: she said it was so much chest. <laughs> I'm saying it with chest now.
0: Before I was like, fucking hell. But yeah, that is self-love, people. So. Oh, Don't take your dick from somewhere manual. else.
2: Yeah. But
1: yeah,
0: guys, if you... Uh... <laughs> this is not the way to end that episode, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is this is not the way. But...
1: This, this, this is the happy ending for
2: us. But may I just oh add God. though? <laughs> <laughs> she said happy ending. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, no, Why? What, no. I, what I actually wanted We've to. We wanted
0: to be so serious, like yeah, figure
2: yourself out <laughs> ah, to sexual <laughs> Indians. <indivendor, exactly>. You're signing, <laughs> you
0: know. But you were thinking it. Um. So. <laughs> but you said it. <laughs> but
2: um. <laughs> Oh, my days. Um, What I wanted to say was. What I wanted to say was um, I do really appreciate that you guys even thought of. Wanting me to share this with you guys and um, on something as close to you guys as your podcast. And that says a lot to me, if I'm honest with you, Um, it really does. So I do appreciate you guys a listening to me in the first instance. Um, I've not spoken about this period of my life in the way that I have with the two of you, um, with anyone. Um, I haven't gone into this much detail. I haven't even done it with myself, if I'm honest. I haven't sat in the way that we've had these two conversations and gone through the details in the same way that I have done with you guys. So in a way, this has been a very, very meaningful experience for me. And it's also been very healing for me. It's something that I spoke about after we recorded the first episode, um, just what a difference it made to me in um, understanding. And and once again, it's a constant process of reflection. It's a constant process of um, revising what's happened and, and how I'm going to move forward. But really, these two conversations have been fundamental in this whole process. So I couldn't, almost in a way ask for a better gift from you guys um bringing me on like this so I, I, I want to say thank you <laughs> no, <laughs> I love, you I too, love you. it's so crazy that
0: you're saying that because all I've thought about this whole time is how brave you are for even sharing your story on a platform <laughs> like, like this and you know being so open and honest and vulnerable you know it's not an easy thing to do by any means at all I, I say that with such sincerity because like, fuck, I, I can't do it for myself at my big age of 27. Do you know what I mean? So for yeah. for you to, to go into depth the way that you did is is massive. And, and thank you so much for, for joining us and and sharing your truth and your story. And, you know, we just wish you the best on your healing path. And hopefully that includes us a lot more than it did in the past. It definitely and, will. And yeah, I suppose one final note I just wanted to share was... Um, I suppose, like, when you were afraid to tell people or tell us, you know, anything, and I I completely understand where you're coming from because I, I'm guilty of doing that too, but as people who g- genuinely care for you, and despite us, you know, not really being in your everyday life for, you know, good couple of years throughout this, you know, whole period, I mean, as soon as you told us all we wanted to do was you know hug you wrap you up like anything we could do we wanted to do it and i suppose like i say this because you know anyone else who's listening who might be going through this there are people who love you you are loved and who want to help you and i think that's all i want to try and reiterate because you know all we keep saying is oh my god i swear to god if we knew if we knew an inch if we knew an inch of this whole thing then we would have been there and and done it and just got you out of there and or you know persisted like your best friend just something we would have fully done it um and yeah i just i just want people to you know if you are going through anything similar to this or any sort of problem just you'll be surprised at how loved you are even if it doesn't feel like it you will absolutely
2: you know making your sexuality into almost a a virus that is detrimental to yourself Um, and that's one really big takeaway from this Um, trying to keep it separate from your day-to-day life is something that will only last so long Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important to acknowledge it accept it and be okay with it not make it your enemy not try to put it on a shelf and access it from time to time but really um, those around you in my case, for example, once I told you guys, um, you didn't batter an eyelid. It's not that you were overwhelmed or angry or anything. You were you were just like, okay, that's one part of you that you decided to not tell us. Fine. So the meaning of this is that uh, it doesn't have to be the biggest part of your life. For some people, that that is the case, and that's fine. But... For individuals like myself who keep it a secret because they're scared or you're scared that if my friends, bar your family, if you think your friends are going to make a judgment of you, your friends are already your friends, right? The people that are close to you are already close to you on the grounds that they are. They like you, get along, you've got good vibes together, you have jokes. You're just not telling them one thing. But if that one detail is going to protect you from ending up remotely how I've ended up in the past, then it's good to at least have one person that does know Mm -hmm. it honestly is very important because should anything happen to you that is connected to that side of your life if nobody knows that is not a good place to be that's my personal opinion Um, and it is important in that regard to try and build a network close to you of people that do know and at the end of the day, you might be staring at some of those people every single day already. You don't have to go and think, I need a whole circle of new friends that are, you know, all for it. You've probably got them already with you. And um, that's one thing I've learned.
0: Well, we're so grateful for you and your best friend who got you here. And yeah. I just, yeah, we love you too. We love you so much. <laughs> and yeah, so for now, it's been your girl, Nikita
1: touch.
2: Your guest, Hakeem. <laughs> I love that. that oh my God, this is I'm gonna sweating be like You yo. made me
0: sweat and he made me cry. I'm sweating. I, I tried to avoid she eye contact. She was there like <laughs> stroking me up.
2: She needs to be a counsellor. <laughs> like, she's holding on a podcast and that. patting you down <laughs> at the same time. Exactly. She
0: didn't
1: even, <laughs> <can, she> even <laughs> managed to give what me a hug on everything.